excuse me here. I want to say thank you to Patty and to our scripture today comes from Matthew 13, a um, portion of scripture that we've been in for a few weeks. Today I wanted to look at uh, verses um, 10 through 17 and then verses 44 to 60. In chapter, of chapter 13, verse 10, um, this is shortly after Jesus has just finished teaching the parable about the sower and the different soils. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of the people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let, them, and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And then, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. I remember going to my hometown library when I was a child. I have some really particular memories because when I was eight years old, I was on my way to the University of Iowa hospitals for my first open heart surgery. And um, one of the things that my parents did, knowing that I was going to spend a lot of time in a bed over the next several weeks, and then when I got home, was they got me involved with a reading program at the library for the summer. So I remember being able to check out these books and take them with me and then going back after reading them and exchanging them for other books. I remember making, the, you know, the little stickers on my chart about the books that I'd been reading. And um, one of the things that I remembered was that this library was one of the most massive buildings I had ever seen. Now, it was built in ground, so the first level was half above ground, half below ground, and it only had three levels. But you have to remember, I grew up in a town of 4,000 people, <laughs> so a three-story building that was very massive because it was built with a lot of stone as well as brick um, was impressive to me. 
And I probably had seen this many, many times, but I had never thought about it until one day as I was walking into the library, I must have been maybe in high school at this point, that I looked up and I realized there's a name over the library. Any idea what that name might be? Carnegie, Carnegie, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> exactly right, Ron. So my town had received money from the Andrew Carnegie Foundation to build a town library. When I discovered this later on in life, remembering this, I did a little research on Andrew Carnegie. He was a Scottish immigrant. He came here at age 13 with his family, and they moved to Allegheny, Pennsylvania. Uh, his father bought uh, from a relative a small business. Uh, the father's business didn't go well. After a couple of years, he lost the business. So as a 13-year-old, this young man, Andrew Carnegie, started working, <laughs> changing the bobbers on the sewing machines, of the big sewing machines where they would make cloth in the, in the textile mills. And then he got promoted. He got a job change. He went to work for Pennsylvania Railroad as a young person who carried telegraphs back and forth to some of the different uh, members of the company when they received them. He is known for his book entitled The Gospel of Wealth. And his famous quote in that book is this, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. He made his money on the Pennsylvania Railroad. He was one of the first investors in the Pullman cars. He, uh, he made a lot of money. And then he gave it all away. <laughs> he, um, he made his money. Um, they say if you factor in inflation, that what he had when he sold his company to J.P. Morgan was over two and a half times the, uh, the highest value of Bill Gates' estate. Now, I don't know if they've established in relationship to Jeff Bezos, but my guess is that he's probably still a little bit ahead of Jeff Bezos as well. So for that period of time, it was a lot of money. And he made a vow to give it all away. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. These can be rhetorical questions. But did any of you receive a Pell Grant when you went to college? If you did, that is good news. That perhaps helped you to go to college. That came from Andrew Carnegie's foundation. Does anybody here take insulin or know anyone that takes insulin? Insulin was invented through a foundational grant from Andrew Carnegie. Without that money, it's likely insulin would not have been invented, at least not that early. How many of you have enjoyed, with your children or your grandchildren, watching Sesame Street? The... the <laughs> The, the money for Sesame Street, for its establishment, for its creation, came from Andrew Carnegie's foundation. That is good news. Libraries. He donated church organs to churches all over the United States and all over the world. He helped endow colleges and universities. 
and he even built one in Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon. So this man um, may have been a tough businessman, but he was also a very gracious giver and brought good news to many, many people. Now, the reason this story resonates for me is because that is the question that I wanted to ask today, is what is good news, especially for us as Christians? Good news is something that is so life-changing. It is so transformative that you will sell everything, leave everything in order to get it. That is what good news is. If you need a miracle drug in order to live, will you not do everything in your capability to get that miracle drug? I don't know which one of us wouldn't. Jesus brought healing and forgiveness. He exercised demons from people. And this was good news. It was good news to the sick. It was good news to those who were dying from their brokenness. And it was good news to those who had been possessed by demons. The woman with a hemorrhage for 12 years reached out to touch the, the hem of Jesus' robe. She knew that if she touched the robe, it would change her life with good news. And so she did. And Jesus changed her life. Jairus was a religious leader, a famous Jewish man who risked his reputation by coming to Jesus in humility, asking Jesus, who was controversial amongst religious leaders at this time, who came to Jesus begging him to come to his house and to save his daughter's life. Jesus healed her. He went to the man's house. They said she was dead, and he said, no, she is just sleeping, and he grabbed her by the hand, and he helped her up and then they gave her something to eat. Jesus is good news. The kingdom of heaven that he brings is good news. So why do some hear the good news and others do not? That's kind of the question that I had on that first part of the reading that I shared with you this morning. Jesus told his disciples that they are permitted to hear and understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others will not listen, and they will not understand. They will not see, and they will not comprehend. Why do some people see and hear, and others don't? Jesus said, that this is done to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Now, I think Isaiah 6 is one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture that are written. It is the call of Isaiah. If you, I don't know if you remember this, but he is transported in this vision to the temple 
where God is calling him, summoning him to come and to be his prophet. And you remember what Isaiah says, oh, but, oh my Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. And God takes the seraphim, these angels, and they go to the altar and they pick up hot coals and they fly back and they place them on his lips. His lips have now been cleansed by God. This is all in a dream, in his vision. And then he says that God's presence in the temple is so massive. This is the part that always inspires me in amazing ways. That even the, just the hem of God's robe filled the inside of the temple. <laughs> just the hem. So in this chapter 6, Isaiah has been called to be a prophet. And this is now perhaps, it's not only his first message, but probably we would say the central message of which Isaiah has been called to deliver to Judah and Jerusalem in particular, but to the whole people of Israel. It begins in verse 9. And he said, yes, go and say this to the people. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see their, with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, this is Isaiah now, Lord, how long will this go on? How long? And he replied, God replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent every one away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Even if a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth, the tree, or as an oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Jesus says that his presence fulfills this prophecy. Is this good news? Judah and Jerusalem will not look. They will not listen. They will not comprehend. And the reason, if they notice, if they truly notice, they will turn. And if they turn to God, they will be healed. But God says they are not to be healed. They're to be destroyed. Judah and Jerusalem will not be healed. Even Isaiah is shocked at this word because he asked God, how long? How long, O oh Lord? And the answer from God, this is how long, until there is nothing left. Jesus is saying that those who suffer from spiritual blindness will not hear or understand Jesus. 
and they will not receive Jesus as the Messiah. Just as some Israelites rejected Isaiah's prophecy, and many Israelites rejected that prophetic word, so also will many reject Jesus. Not noticing God leads to our spiritual death. And human resistance is a stubborn thing. Believe me, I know this personally for my own stubbornness. But Jesus seems to be telling us that God is at work even in this. Isaiah seems to be telling us that God is at work even in this utter destruction. There is a ray of hope here, a holy seed from the stump. Now the stump is a stump of death and destruction that is rooted in hard-heartedness, that is rooted in resistance against God. That is the stump that's left of the tree. In 587 B.C., B.C.E., before the Common Era, before Christ, in 587, the total destruction and elimination of Judah and Jerusalem occurred. And it was highlighted, emphasized by the total decimation of the temple in Jerusalem. The Assyrians left nothing. Good Friday, there was a stump of destruction and death. And it was found on the cross, which was made out of the stump. Good Friday was the stump of crucifixion, where all you see, all you are remaining with, is utter death and destruction. Is there hope? Israel's hope is that out of this stump will come a holy seed. Not just a new Jerusalem, but a Messiah. Israel's stump will be that holy seed. In verse 1 of chapter 11 of Isaiah, just a couple chapters beyond chapter 6, it says this. We read this oftentimes at Christmas. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. And that shoot is Jesus. It is his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. So as followers of Jesus, like the disciples, who are able to hear his words and understand them, we listen. Now we don't listen because the good news is hammered upon us. We listen because the good news brings life. Worshiping God allows us the chance to listen to the Word of God and to hear the good news. That's why we gather today. And when we couldn't gather here, that's why we gathered on Facebook. 
Reading and praying over Scripture each day allows us to listen to the good news of God. One of the things that I've heard from a few people is, Pastor Steve, I wish you would teach a Bible study. And so I actually have begun to teach a Bible study, but it's not a typical Bible study. It's a devotional. And I call it vocare, because vocare, V-O-C-A-R-E, is the Latin word for to call or to summon. And I believe that we are called into discipleship through the Word of God. And so the Word becomes the way that God can speak to us and we can respond. So I've also heard from a few people that have told me, I just can't sit down and read like a devotional. They, they said, you know, if I could listen to it, then I, then I could follow it, then I could hear it, and for some reason we've become an oratory uh, culture perhaps, certainly a visual culture. And so I started to do this recording Monday through Saturdays. I take the New Testament portion out of the daily text, those little devotional books that we have in the back there that we use, there, after the, the two readings for the day and the prayer, there is a listing of lengthier scriptures that you can read. So at the very end is the New Testament reading. So we started, I think we started in uh, Mark. We missed Matthew because I didn't start it till April during the pandemic. And we take that reading and I offer a five to ten minute devotional, a little commentary on it. And um, so that is a way for you to study the Bible. So you can go to the website, you can download it uh, through Google Play or through um, Apple Podcasts, and um, it should pop up every day once you've downloaded it to remind you that there's a new one in your feed. And I'm only saying that not because it's going to be a great devotional, but because it's a way for people who are struggling to be in the Word, to hear the Word, and to be able to respond to the call that God places upon your hearts. We listen not because God has commanded it. We listen because the Father loves the Son. We listen because the Son tells us how much the Father loves us. And we listen to Jesus to hear his words and to respond to his call. Good news is life-giving. I would say that it is infectious, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I probably shouldn't use that word. In verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure where the man goes and sells everything he had. In verse 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. He sold everything he had to purchase it. What are we willing to give up to hear the good news and to live a transformed life? I have a friend who has been in recovery for over 30 years now, and he gave up death in order to live. His day, first day of recovery happened when he coded on a 
on an emergency room table from an overdose of drugs. So he has maintained a, a life of over 30 years of sobriety and uh, being clean from any drugs. And what he experienced when he began to experience this life-changing news was that he lost a lot of his old friends because <laughs> they used to party with him. And then as he got clean, he lost his business because he wasn't willing to do shady deals anymore. And then when he lost his money, he lost his wife. And then he, he lost so many other pieces of his life. But what he gained, he said, was immeasurable compared to the losses. He said what he gained was that God gave him a new life that was filled with good news and that was filled with joy. So no matter the challenges, it was worth it. He was more than ready to take on the challenges. And as I got to know him, that was one of the amazing things, was he was always evaluating his life, repenting, and figuring out how do I live differently. I made a poor decision here this day. How can I change that behavior in my life so that I don't keep doing that? I mean, he is one of the most actively changed people that I know. And so I know that God's good news does change lives for people. But there are also people who have the opportunity to sell all that they have and they don't do it. So I have a good friend and I'm going to tease him because he's a pastor like me. He's about 10, 12 years older than me. When he went away to college, he dropped off some stuff at our house stuff that he was not going to use anymore. He gave us a bunch of baseball cards. And so um, these baseball cards collected dust in one of my brother's bedrooms. Um, I was not an athlete growing up because I couldn't be an athlete. So I just have to tell you that they weren't very exciting to me, and I apologize to any baseball advocates out there. <laughs> But um, I never played the game, so I didn't have a lot of um, interest in it. And um, so now, like 10 years ago, after his retirement, he, he does this jokingly. He, he asks, you know, where are those baseball cards I gave you? <laughs> I think I'd like them back. <laughs> he says, you know, um, we gave them to you, and... I thought you were just going to hold on to them, but where, where are they? And, you know, I remember when we went through my mom's house, my brothers and I, you know, we didn't find anything looking like a baseball card. And uh, so they somehow probably got thrown away a long time ago, and they probably had some really valuable cards in them. <laughs> and uh, my friend never lets me forget that. So what I try to tell them is that think of the joy you're going to experience by giving up those baseball cards. <laughs> Think of the good news that you will experience that you wouldn't have experienced if you could 
you know, sell them and go retire on an island in Tahiti or somewhere. And we're reminded of that by a man who comes to see Jesus. And he wants to be a follower of Jesus. And he asks what he should do. And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. And he goes, I've been doing that. Not only the ten, but the great commandment as well. Love your neighbor as well as you love God. And then he says this. If you want to, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and all you will have, and, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But the, when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Good news is life-giving when we hear it, when we see it, when we understand it, when we comprehend it. But we have to be willing to give, to give up, to give away, to die to ourselves and our preconceived ideas and allow God to take root within us. That is why we listen and that's why we hear the good news because listening and hearing the gospel is life-giving. Following Jesus is a lifetime calling of listening and responding to the call. Like the man in the field who sold all he had, like the businessman who dealt with precious gems, sold everything he had in order that they could find and buy the treasure that they had discovered, the good news, they experienced the greatest joy. And good news not only changes your life, it transforms your life. The kingdom of heaven is good news. It is one big treasure, and it's worth any price. The treasure is greater than any sacrifice we'll ever make. The treasure is even greater than ever, any suffering that we will end up suffering. The treasure means that spending your life in the kingdom begins today. This is not to say that life is easy. Your life may become more challenging. You may lose friends and family. You may begin to notice things that you had neatly tucked away in your subconscious before that now you need to deal with. But don't forget, Jesus is working a good thing in you because Jesus is the good news. And the kingdom of heaven that is breaking into this world is the good news. The good news is here. Will we listen? Amen.